Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey, 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 hey. Welcome to Hardline. It is Brenda Alacy along with Joe Beamer on this Victory Sunday. And I don't know about you, but I heard the guys talking about how they got very little sleep. Well, add me to that list, but it, it was well, well worth it. Had a breakfast of champions this morning, cold pizza and hot coffee, and we are ready for some spicy uh, political talk here as well. And thanks to uh, uh, an old hairband, an 80s hairband called Lost Angels for that open. Uh, and my friend Matt Young, who was part of that band and sent along the music. So kind of cool to be going in the retro hey, hey sound, Joe. Joe, you with me? Good morning. No, I'll, Joe's still. I'll oh, tell you. you I'll tell you, Brenda. I, you know, usually on Sundays, uh, I, I'm short of sleep. Everyone knows when Virginia Tech's home, I drive throughout the night to get here. But I might have gotten an hour, maybe an hour and a half of sleep since the game ended yesterday. And I'm nowhere close to tired. I am so amped on energy. Well, adrenaline is a beautiful thing, Joe. And I can't tell you how excited I was. I actually got in my car after the game and drove around Main Street in Williamsville, down Sheridan. I, and it was pretty quiet. I mean, unfortunately, with the restaurants being shuttered uh, after 10 o'clock, uh, there wasn't a lot of activity. But I heard about fireworks going off in the city and uh, all sorts of people singing and cheering in Allentown, which they call Josh Allentown now. Josh Allentown. And, there, there isn't that the best? There's a few tables, uh, 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 pieces of tables left over on Allen this morning. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Brenda, last night after the game, went outside to the back uh, porch and yelled, let's go Buffalo. And someone about three blocks over did a hey. So, oh, you got to love it. I'm telling you, it, it, if my questions aren't too, um, if I don't ask the most challenging questions today, you'll know why. I'm in such <laughs> a good mood. I don't know if I want to be confrontational, even though this is hardline. Uh, but Brenda, let's get right into it. Let's go with Erie County Board of Elections and the chair of the Erie County Democrat Party, Jeremy Zellner. Jeremy, good morning. Happy Victory Sunday. Good morning, Joe and Brenda. Are we even going to talk politics this morning? <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> it is such a great time, Jeremy. And, you know, a real bright spot in this dismal dismal few months that we've been living in. And uh, and it, it really puts Buffalo in a great light, too. I just thought that the city looked terrific on the bump shots last night on national TV and uh, and just the uh, incredible chemistry that Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs have and uh, the way the defense play. Just an exciting time. But let me ask you a couple of questions um, about life and uh, I guess you'd say the real world at this point. Um, what, are, what is your take, Jeremy, about the election process and the allegations of fraud? How do you view that? Well, I think, you know, I'm glad we're diving headfirst here uh, after that nice 
uh, Bill's pitch. Um, but, Brenda, I think the fact is that there is no widespread voter fraud. You know, I listened to the show last week. Chris Jacobs could not get that out of his mouth, that there is widespread voter fraud. It is absolutely not true. The folks that are in charge of the elections across the country have shown the evidence that it isn't true on both sides of the aisle. Um, It is sad that uh, this president has pushed this country to the brink for his own benefit and and cast aspersions on our process, um, saying thousands of dead voters voted in Georgia when they found three and they their votes didn't count. And um, they're they're researching how that even happened. So, you know, I, I think until someone can bring some evidence, which there has been zero that we have to move on and continuing to perfect our process, which we're doing at the state legislature here in New York. Um, but it's just not it's just not the case. Well, we have some texters uh, who knew you were coming on the show, Jeremy, and one in particular wanted us to ask you about uh, a number of votes that they say uh, quietly disappeared four to five days after the November 3rd election. They, they say more than 623,000 disappeared. What do you make of that? You know, I, I make of it of uh, conspiracy theories. Show us the proof that those votes did disappeared. You know, um, as I said last week, something like 93 uh, cases or 63 cases Trump has lost in courts with Republican appointees, Democrat appointees. Enough is enough. Show the proof so that we can move on. Now, Jeremy, I, I know you've gone over this um, process before, but as you mentioned, in Georgia, they found three dead voters and those votes didn't get counted. So there is a process where they go and they certify every vote, right? It's not like they just look at a sheet and say, oh, there's a vote and pass it through. They certify that these are citizens and these are people that should be voting. I don't know what they do in Georgia, but obviously they found what they found. We have a, a process in New York State. We do a a re-canvassing. We, we canvass every single district. Um, you know, we, we do as hard a work as we can to make sure that every vote is counted and everything is done uh, as, as perfect as we can make it. Now, you uh, recently wrote a My View column in the Buffalo News about election process reform. What are some of your main points on that, Jeremy? Well, one thing we have to do is there, there, there's still a congressional race in New York that's not finished. And so one thing we're doing is trying to work with the legislature to uh, move the absentee ballots um, so that we can begin counting them before Election Day and that folks can, um, if they want to scrutinize them, they have to do that prior to Election Day so that uh, we can get the process going and finished a lot quicker. Um, also, I think you've, in that congressional district, there are a number of uh, commissioners of boards of elections who are not full-time commissioners. Uh, they have other jobs. They have other things that they're responsible for. So we're asking that we that every commissioner in the state is a, becomes a full-time commissioner so they can devote all their time and resources and effort and energy into running their boards of elections. It's a critical job. And I just think in some of those districts, you have people who have multiple jobs that, you know, that, that aren't focused solely on counting votes and on elections and being up on the election law. Uh, I do want to follow up about uh, what's been happening uh, with uh, the the closure of restaurants and the governor's uh, zone designations and now the lawsuit that uh, was won. Uh, I'm sure you follow this very closely. Do you think that Governor Cuomo has made some missteps in this whole thing about shutting down restaurants with large zone designations? You know, as I've told you before, um, 
this is a terrible situation for all of us to be in. And Judge Nowak's ruling this past week, um, you know, basically opened some restaurants and then we had all restaurants open. I, I think it's time that we continue to review what we're doing um, to make sure that we're, we're not behind any other area of the state as far as allowing restaurants to open. Um, we're working closely with restaurants. I know our county executive talks to the restaurant business daily, uh, the owners around Western New York, and we're doing the best we can to get them open safely. Jeremy, I have a question about ballot access. Um, as a uh, third-party member, we uh, all got this letter from the Board of Elections that talks about only four parties being on the next ballot, that being the Democrat, Republican, Conservative, and Working Families Party. As a libertarian, libertarians no longer have ballot access. Uh, why is that, and is there a process that libertarians and other third parties can get back on the ballot? Yes, it, 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 it is because that you did not reach the threshold of you know having party ballot access in the presidential election. Um, there was a commission put together that put in, put place put in place uh, um, thresholds for parties to reach. If you want to be a party, you have to reach a certain amount of votes statewide. And so, yes, next gubernatorial election, uh, you can again go for ballot access to see if you can get enough votes on that line for a candidate for governor. Um, and and basically, Joe, what happens if you are a member of any of those other parties um, at the Board of Elections in Erie County? We we basically treat you as an a blank voter, which, you know, is, is not a registered voter in in that party. Now, um, we, we keep our records very closely, so we'll know that you were a libertarian, but we basically treat you as a blank voter and you can't vote in any party primaries. But the state mandated that we send this letter out to all voters who are in those parties to let them know you have until February 14th to change. So, Joe, you know, if, if you're so inclined, you can certainly become a Democrat by uh <laughs> and change your party affiliation, and we'll welcome you with open arms. I don't know. I, I, I've read some of the tweets uh, that mention me, Jeremy. I'm not sure I believe that last comment, but I appreciate it. Hey, Jeremy, I, I always uh, like to point out how you and Ralph Moore, who is a Republican, work well in tandem uh, with your duties at the board. And I'm wondering if you and Ralph talk at all about um, if there should be a requirement for voter ID it seems to me a very simple process that makes a heck of a lot of sense, especially in today's world. You know, if I go to the drugstore and have to buy something that I can't get over the counter anymore, I have to show ID. Or if you buy a bottle of booze somewhere, you have to show ID. What is your thought? And have you discussed it with Ralph Moore about showing identification to vote? Well, we haven't because that's a state uh, issue that would have to be coming from the state. But you know, it's not like you just show up and say, I want a ballot. You, you do have to prove who you are. You give your name and you have to match up your signature. Um, if you're voting via absentee, you have to match up your signature. You have to request the absentee and provide information. Um, and, and you do have to provide your ID if it's your first time voting and you're asked. If you've never voted before, we need to know that it's you and we can't verify your signature in our books. Um, so it's not like you just walk up and say, give me uh, five ballots and I'll be back in a minute. You know, there are things in place that keep it from uh, from fraud. And Jeremy, before we run, uh, I wanted to ask your opinion about uh, Sheriff Tim Howard saying that he will not seek another term. And reports say that he will run for the town of Wales supervisor. Thoughts on that? Well, I think uh, that's up for the voters in Wales, um, but he may be well suited for that 
seat since he doesn't seem to leave the town of Wales in the last 16 years and has left the department in shambles with no leadership. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the voters are going to have to decide for that. We don't currently have an organization in Wales, but we've been uh, folks have called us and asked us, how do I run for supervisor in Wales this weekend? So we're happy to help uh, elect a Democrat in Wales for supervisor if that's what the folks want there. And I'm happy, you know, we're always trying to grow our smaller town committees in, 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 in the rural areas of Erie County, and many of them are thriving right now. So I wouldn't assume that he's going to go unopposed. Do you have any thoughts about who may run on the Democrat line for sheriff? For sheriff, we've got a handful of candidates that are interested in running right now. Um, a, a guy that's in the department now, Mike Reardon, just uh, called this week. Um, Bernie Tolbert, as you've heard. Um, Dennis Chief uh, Dennis Richards from the uh, Buffalo Police. Um, and Assistant uh, Chief Brian Gould uh, from Cheektowaga um, are interested in running. And a guy named Rick Loricella, who's the chief in Akron, is also running. And then we've got a handful of folks that are kind of still weighing whether they're interested or not and kind of trying to find out if their their employers will support it. So we're still uh, working through our process here, but I think we've got some terrific candidates. Okay, great, Jeremy. We really appreciate you coming on to talk uh, for a few minutes about the latest happenings. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk down the road here on Hardline. Thanks very much, and uh, let's hope we're celebrating next week as well for the Buffalo Bills. You got it. Take care, folks. You bet. We'll talk with uh, John Rooney, the uh, co-owner of The Yelling Goat, in just a moment. Yeah, John uh, Rooney does join us from The Yelling Goat. John, good morning. Happy Victory Sunday. Go Bills. Go Bills, indeed. Uh, (laughs) John, just give us a little rundown of uh, how things have been going at The Yelling Goat over the last few months. Well, uh, as you know, the the last couple of months we've been sitting at home uh, thinking uh, warm thoughts. And and, uh, since we got the go-ahead, we we joined the... uh, the lawsuit uh, with the others, and uh, that came out well for us. And uh, we started up uh, the day that they let us open, and, and away we went. John, I know you've faced a lot of uh, different issues uh, over this roller coaster of a ride that you've been on with uh, the closures and the reopenings. Uh, what about things that maybe aren't quite as apparent to those of us who follow the restaurant world? You have to deal with licenses, insurance coverage, taxes related to unemployment coverage. Um, these issues don't always appear to be in the forefront, uh, especially unemployment issue, which may boomerang into large adjustments. Uh, what do you do to deal with that type of thing? Well, there, there's nothing you can do other than sit and wait for it to happen. The, the unemployment insurance issue um, that really hasn't been brought up um, that I've heard anyway, and, and I listen to a lot of it, and that is simply it's based on the amount of claims you have against your business for unemployment insurance. And then it's also based on the amount of employees you have. So there's a formula that the state has that, that, that sets you up. And it's almost like a bank account that you maintain throughout your, your term in business uh, that is drawn from when someone uh, files unemployment against your business. If someone quit, got fired, whatever, let go. Um, and this follows you throughout. And so uh, since last March, we've had, as everybody has had, um, literally an avalanche of claims against unemployment. So we're, we're kind of waiting for that. I think that happens on an annual or maybe a semi-annual basis where they reformulate that and, and figure out what you owe to keep that so-called bank account full. And um, so that's on the come for all of us who have uh, been forced to lay off uh, people during this uh, pandemic. Uh, 
There, there's another item that, that, that isn't brought up, and that is the, 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 the rates for refi. If you wanted to refi your home right now, it's, 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 it's good, right? Things are really low. We tried to do that with credit in the 800s, and we're told, well, no, it's, it's not a safe bet right now because of the industry you're in. So there's another little caveat that gets thrown in your face. And, um, but you deal with these things and you roll with it, but it's, it's, getting, it's getting tough. You know, John, so much uncertainty, and this is the first I'm hearing about, you know, the little details. Um, has the state been in communication? Do they reach out, the county, anyone reaching out to try to help, to try to cover these things? Nothing's been brought up yet, Joe, and that, that's the scary part. And, and that's the thing that kind of uh, simmers in the back of my head is that these, these little, little things that add up into great expense, um, nothing's been touched upon. Uh, the first go around with this shutdown in, in early March, you know, they covered us with uh, PPP and, and the, the employees got plenty of income so, uh, through unemployment. So there, there was less of a punch. You kind of just sat there stunned because none of us had been through this before. That, that's everybody. Now this last one, we've all been left with literally nothing, just two months of zero. So you, you, the avalanche of bills that follow a business like the food, like, like a restaurant, you know, liquor, food, licenses, et cetera, you have to pay that. You can't not pay that um, or, or lose your credit, you know. So you, you have to pay these things, so you just watch your bank account shrivel, literally. And uh, it's very scary, but no, the, the, the government hasn't come in to talk about those items. John, I, I know the Yelling Goat uh, sustained uh... – damage and a catastrophic fire uh, a couple of years ago at your place. And, you know, I couldn't help but think about some of the trials and tribulations uh, you and your business partner have gone through. What what has been more taxing on you, uh, more difficult, the fire or this situation with the pandemic? Well, they're, they're, um, they're both similar, uh, only in that um, the fire, it was um, agreed upon almost the second day afterwards that everything would be rebuilt. And we were we were insured to the teeth, uh, so there, there was no issue as far as coverage and so forth. So this has been this pandemic thing has been much more trying in that, um, uh, as Joe mentioned, it's just you're kind of out there in limbo, not knowing on on a number of issues, and then also kind of being singled out as an industry that is being penalized, where you walk into a big box or heck, you even walk into the post office, and you see things, and it's like, well. This, this isn't right. Uh, further, the, the restaurant industry is so heavily regulated that, um, you know, it's kind of hard to skate by anymore. In fact, you can't. You, you can't fake it or you get shut down. So um, the, the pandemic has been much more trying. How difficult has it been for you to, to maintain business with this open-close kind of revolving door policy that's been in place? Do you find that your loyal Patrons are coming back. Are they doing a lot of takeout when you were not open? What's the response been? Um, takeout was mediocre at best, uh, simply because, you know, it, that, that's not what we're about. Um, since we've opened, we've been overwhelmed with support. We have great customers, a great customer base that reaches throughout the region. And um, uh, so, yeah, it's been very, very strong, the comeback. The bounce back is very strong. And what did you uh, what did you think of the lawsuit? Uh, there's been a lot of publicity and talk about that. In fact, a little later in the show, we'll have uh, attorney Steve Cohen on from Hogan Willick 
uh, who's been one of the driving forces behind this. Have you been in touch with any of your uh, restaurant brethren on this? Yeah, well, they, we all kind of communicate through a stream, and, and, and um, I'm, I'm not vocal in that, but I, I'm part of that lawsuit, uh, and uh, so uh, I'm, I'm pro. You know, the legal thing, um, no one ever expects to be involved in something like that until all of a sudden you are. And in my wildest dreams, I couldn't have imagined having to sue the state to go back to work to do the job that we've created for ourselves and others. It's it's beyond comprehension. So, uh, but uh, Hogan Willig has been great, and uh, we appreciate the outcome on that. And we're looking forward to. I think this Tuesday there's another meeting uh, in the court uh, with more details to come. So that that's all been very positive. John, I do want to point out, I mean, you are an economic driver in, in the sense that you employ a lot of people. You have a rather large restaurant with terrific food, I may add. I've been a, a fan of your work for a long time uh, from your days in East Aurora and now with the Yelling Goat. Uh, what, uh, what type of employment do you have at the restaurant and how many people have you been able to bring back? Well, every, everyone comes back. So the, our our thing throughout the years, um, our staff has stayed with us. So I have people in the back that are 10, 12 years deep with us. And uh, so everyone has come back. We, we employ 25 to 30 people at any given time. Um, more, all the people in the back, uh, in the kitchen that is, um, are all full-time. They're pros. And um, so everybody has come back. And that's real gratifying. That's, that's, a, that's a nice statement to the business. And, um, and we, we appreciate those guys more than more than they know. It's wonderful. Well, John, I wish you all the best. Give the location, if you would, please, for the Yelling Goat. We're at 205 Central in Lancaster between uh, Walden and Broadway. Great location, uh, wonderful food, and uh, we appreciate uh, all of your efforts and wish you well as we move forward through 2021. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks a lot. You bet. Uh, We are only uh, through the first half hour of Hardline, much more to come in the next half hour, including a conversation with Peter Ahern, who is the uh, founder of Ahern Consulting in Virginia and the former special agent in charge uh, with the FBI here in the Buffalo office. Much more to come on Hardline right after this. And welcome back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hardline on a sunny Sunday morning. Uh, most of us feeling pretty darn good about the Buffalo Bills' big win and on to the AFC Championship game. But we have plenty to talk about in politics and current events, and it is a pleasure to welcome Peter Ahern to the show. Peter is the president president and founder of Ahern Consulting and also a retired FBI agent, special agent in charge. And Peter, welcome to Hardline. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Well, thanks for having me. 
Good to have you on board. And Joe Beamer is here with me as well. And Peter, our paths crossed several years ago when I was a producer at the Empire Sports Network, and you kindly came on the show to talk about uh, sports betting and, and the legalities of that. But now, you know, we're talking about things that I could have never fathomed in my life, including uh, a storm on the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, you live in the Virginia area, and obviously you're a, a key observer of what's happening with security issues. Uh, what was your take about the breach and how it all occurred? Well, I, I think, uh, like everybody else, uh, I, I watched it in horror. Uh, had actually been, been down in D.C. I mean, I'm only about 12 miles from the city. You know, when you and you go down there, and, and, and the freedoms you can experience down there compared to what I'm looking at now, it's just uh, it's night and day. But I was horrified. Uh, I, I think it was a, a clear, clear violation of, of the Constitution and what people were trying to do uh, for whatever reasons and why they did it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I believe in, in protests. Uh, you can do whatever you want, but there is a line that you cross, and it was definitely crossed uh, that day and still concerns it's going to be crossed again. Now, I know you and I had been uh, talking over the past few days, and you said things are pretty crazy down in the D.C. area. What is it like in the city? Uh, it's got to be surreal, I would think, with the barricades and all the other protective equipment in place. Yeah, you know, it was pretty surreal with the coronavirus issues um, <laughs> down there. And uh, I think one of the biggest impacts you see with that is the traffic around here, which you know was pretty much non-existent now. And D.C. is pretty famous for its uh, for its traffic. Uh, the years I lived in Buffalo, I would take a unplowed 15-inch snowstorm compared to. Uh, what it's like down here to try to go to work, but uh, it's very surreal. But again, this is this has been a process. We've had these issues uh, in D.C., which is is not uh, you know D.C. is is very experienced in some of these issues. But what what happened with the protests over the summer, uh, with the social uh, social justice issues, and then it it, it just rolled into this uh, uh, and the events of of the of the right. Uh, shall we say, uh, just uh, it, it's it's something you just can't deal with uh, when it gets to violence. And we had that. We had that in the summer. We had that now with the Capitol. And, and, and these two events, I think, uh, the events of the summer as well as the Capitol, have to be looked at. Uh, you know, they're talking right now about looking at the Capitol and, and the riots, uh, you know, and the uh, insurgency there. Uh, but you also have to look at what happened this summer and look at how those responses stood up in the summer compared to what happened uh, last week. And I think that has to be done, uh, not just looking at what happened with the Capitol. It's got to be done together because you're going to see some huge differences uh, on how this city prepared for both of those events. You know, Peter, looking at the events of last Wednesday, well, actually almost two weeks ago now, um, yeah. we're still hearing of people being arrested. We're hearing of people be, being put on the no-fly list. Uh, but the, the FBI going out and finding those involved – and now, this is to me, you know, uh, someone that just is, you know, I watch ID Discovery and think I know how to find someone. Um, but they, you know, they're finding people on Twitter, on Facebook. It's like a lot of the people involved live tweeted them breaking into the Capitol. Uh, it seems like a lot of these people did the FBI's work for them. Well, that, that's correct. I mean, you're, you're talking about digital forensics combined with people that are calling the tip lines out in West Virginia where the FBI center is. Um, and, and you can use that information against people. I mean, it's, it's just kind of surreal from an investigative standpoint, uh, uh, for sure. A lot of people will say, oh, my gosh, the government's watching this or watching my accounts. But frankly, uh, we, we call this open source intelligence. I mean, people put this stuff out publicly. 
and they don't understand the ramifications of putting that out publicly. And it can and it will be used against them uh, in any kind of justice system that may come along, whether they be charged with a misdemeanor or something more serious as a felony. And you're going to see more of this happening in these investigations. Uh, you know, but I, I think what, what the FBI is doing, um, and again, the FBI, to, to remind people, the FBI will investigate, and they take that investigation and they give it to the prosecutors. And the prosecutors will make decisions on what the charges will be, uh, in this case of the rioters, uh, from the trespass, criminal uh, trespass misdemeanors, all the way that you will, I think, eventually you're going to see some more serious charges of sedition coming out of the investigations as time goes on, as the social media accounts of these people are looked at. And, and a lot of them are basically confessing, you know, over, over the Internet. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're dealing with in this day and age. Yeah, you have a lot of people that thought it would be a good time to break out the Facebook Live as they're uh, going into the Capitol and uh, not only doing themselves no favors, but obviously the people that were there with them. So, Peter, let's look. So that was two weeks ago. Obviously, D.C. on heightened alert this week. Uh, How long in, say, a month from now, will the FBI still be finding people involved in the Capitol in the Capitol riots? We still be hearing stories of, uh, you know, so and so that was in the Capitol riots a month ago, um, still being brought to justice is this one of the these longer term investigations it will it will continue and i think like i said earlier you're going to see some of the things as the cases get put together uh, i mean like right now it's kind of like chasing the low-hanging fruit uh which there's no no nothing wrong with that i mean you're, you're lodging charges against people but you may see additional charges come in the future where you will see the more serious charges against people that were perceived to be and the facts will show, had some type of leadership role. I mean, this is no different than looking at, you know, at a, at a terrorist organization and looking at the leadership and investigating were they financed, uh, you know, what was their intent. You have to put a case together. Uh, right now, the easy cases are going to be put together. They're going to go on record with these people that get charged, and they're going to have records. And there are ramifications just from that. People could lose their jobs. Uh, they're going to lose a right to carry or, or get a weapon. Uh, they, they just don't understand that they think they were doing something, uh, but again, crossed the line. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And a lot of these people, too, are the people that support law enforcement. I mean, the, the Blue Lives Matter issue, and, and a lot of those people were on the Hill. There were even police officers, as we know now. But you will see this going on for months. This is not going to stop in 30 days. I can guarantee you that. Peter, a lot of the uh, protesters were also highly trained uh, ex-military and, as you point out, uh, police officers. In fact, uh, I was reading an article about something called a formation, the Ranger file, and it's a way a combat team uh, stacks up. And that's what uh, a lot of people noticed uh, at the uh, at the insurrection on the Capitol. Do you think a lot of these military uh, folks or ex-military will be tracked down as well? I mean, they seem to be pretty... Uh, obvious when you have pictures and and video 24 7 well i I don't think you're going to track them down just because of that okay um you know uh, if they use their training i mean let's face it uh you know being independent here and looking at both sides you have people that were you know uh, that part of the social injustice riots that you saw in portland and and in dc over the summer they had that kind of training too um, but just using that training, they're doing it probably more for the fact that they have been trained. Um, and w- what really gets me, I think, in this, and, and I put this out on, a, on my LinkedIn site, it just bothers me that 
uh, you know, anybody that, that has ever worked in the government, whether you were a, a, just a government uh, public servant at a lower level uh, from a clerical standpoint up to a member of the military up to the president of the United States, you take an oath of office and that oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. And I guarantee you there were, were hundreds and hundreds of people that were up on the Hill uh, doing uh, what they did and seemed to forgot they took an oath, whether they were in the military and served in the government, even states sometimes have an oath of office. But the point is, you know, and, and again, not, not just last week, but we've, we've seen this on both sides, but people seem to forget what that oath means on to protect and defend the Constitution. That said, the people now that are doing this uh, from the standpoint of the investigations, the FBI agents, you know, the ATF agents, you know, the U.S. attorneys and the prosecutors all have taken that oath and they're going to carry out that oath and doing what they're going to be doing, whether you stormed the Capitol or you were violent and did things on in any kind of a, of a, of a protest. You cross that line and you cross that line and there should be consequences and that's what you're going to see. Now, they're not going to track down everybody that was up there, you know, and I'm sure people just went along for the ride, so to speak. But they're going to be very judicious. They're going to be very careful. They're going to decide and find and looking at this investigation, you know, the leadership and who did the violence. And that, those are the people you're going to be to see being prosecuted. And again, you'll see more charges. Some of these people have already been arrested. Peter Ahern is with us, 803-0930, if you'd like to uh, join this, the discussion, and certainly feel free to text us at 716-803-0930. Peter is a retired FBI agent, special agent in charge, in fact, worked in the Buffalo office for part of his career, and now lives outside of uh, uh, Washington, D.C. in Virginia. And Peter also is the president and founder of Ahern Consulting. Peter, I do want to ask you, uh, a texter is bringing up the point about uh, they, they claim that the FBI wasn't so vocal about potential violence uh, all last summer during the Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matters uh, fires, the destruction, the rioting. Uh, as a retired member of the FBI, how do you feel about that allegation? Well, I, I think vocal is, is not as much as what you will see what the FBI does uh, when it comes out. Was information passed? Clearly, you have... Uh, you know, issues that are, have developed from what kind of information and when it was passed uh, it, during, uh, you know, what happened last week. Uh, but I, I'm sure there are always things that the FBI can do better. The FBI actually was on the street last summer. I mean, uh, there, there have been some investigations internally on how the FBI, you know, acted in, the, in, in last summer. I mean, they didn't do anything that was construed to be wrong, but they were on the street uh, and actually were on the street without the things they needed to protect themselves. Uh, these were members of the Washington field office. Um, but the intelligence gaps, so is probably what you're talking about here. You know, the FBI sends that information out. Uh, there's some questions going on right now on whether the Capitol Police were told about a, a piece of intelligence that came out of the Norfolk Division of the FBI. You know, and, and when you look deeper into this, you will, you will see that the intelligence collection and the dissemination is done in every field office you know even in buffalo there's a field intelligence group and it's a joint kind of operation so the information gets shared in that environment it doesn't publicly get out from that standpoint unless there's a direct threat of something that's going to happen when you have riots like you had last summer there was no direct threat of of anything it was just a riot starts mostly you see these when the sun goes down 
I think people knew that these things could happen, and that is uh, an issue that local law enforcement has to deal with. A direct threat is something that the FBI will be looking for. If there was something directly uh, concerning an action, then they're going to have to get that out publicly, and you've seen that recently. And, and you saw some of that last summer, too, especially in Portland. Peter, You're not going to see the FBI putting things out every day to the public and to the press, but it goes through an internal system that's shared with state, local, and other federal uh, agencies uh, in the government. Peter, you know, you talked about the um, the threats and the FBI. Mm-hmm. We've we've heard since last Wednesday, again, I should say, almost two weeks ago, because last Wednesday, that's a Seinfeld bit I almost did on the air. Um, but the events that happened at the Capitol two weeks ago, uh, we've been hearing about what could happen this week around the inauguration, the city being shut down. Where is the FBI, where did these threats come from? Where is the FBI looking where they have the information that something could happen either in D.C. or capital or state capitals around the country? Well, I think there's a, a, a variation of different ways they collect the intelligence. Uh, the one area is what we call human, human intelligence. Those are people that were phoning in the information, uh, telling you what they know. And, and, and people need to remember, too, a lot of that stuff, just because somebody calls, you don't just put it out there. A lot of this, this information has to be validated. I mean, you know, you can imagine the calls that are coming into the center that the FBI has from around the country. Um, I mean, and of all the calls, probably less than 2% are anything that are going to be uh, a value of some kind of information, whether it's a threat or an incident. But right now, too, you're you're listening to sources. I mean, FBI work informants and, and sources of information. The public is, is talking about what they're hearing from friends, relatives, neighbors, whatever it is. And another area that the FBI is dealing, not just the FBI, but other law enforcement, too, with their intelligence groups are looking at open source information. And that's the tweets that are going on and, and, and the Facebook accounts of people that they believe could be a threat. And that's what they're looking at. And I, I think personally, after seeing what happened two weeks ago and seeing the preparations uh, for the events of this week, uh, I'm gonna, I'd be very surprised if you see anything close to what happened two weeks ago down here um, you know, in D.C. I mean, this place is locked down. Uh, even from the standpoint of trying to get across the bridges. It's, it's, it's not something you're going to see compared to what happened two weeks ago. That said, the same issues about the capital. You know, the capital is in other areas and other parts of the state, and that information is coming in. They're, they're scouring the Internet. They're looking at things and trying to validate the threats. Are they real or are they not, not uh, real? Uh, back to the text that one of your listeners uh, called in, I mean, if we put out, we, I'm sorry, you know, I get into that habit. I mean, I'm not doing the FBI anymore, but if they put out everything that they're getting, you could even comprehend the information uh, and having to deal with that. The other concern that I think everybody has, this is, this is no different in looking at intelligence, whether it be Al-Qaeda or a, a violent left group or violent right group. The biggest fear I think right now you have are those that are not going to do anything with a group. You know, people right now, are the Proud Boys going to do anything? Are the Boogaloo's going to do anything? And these are documented, uh, you know, far-right extremist groups. Um, But uh, right now you're hearing, hey, stay away. We don't want to do anything. The biggest fear right now are going to be those individuals that want to do something and take it in their own hands. Whether it be an international al-Qaeda terrorist that's here in the United States, that's deep and dark in a, 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 what you call a, a lone wolf, it's the same here. What we don't know, what the FBI or any other agency doesn't know, is what you've got to be worried about. 
very scary right now of not knowing. You know, I'd rather know things. It's what I don't know. I've always said that uh, is what worries me. And I think we have that factor here without a doubt. Let's go to the phone lines. John in Rochester. Good morning, John. You're on with Peter Ahern. Hello, everybody. Uh, yes, Peter. Uh, last summer, supposedly, uh, the Trump had to be evacuated from the White House. And I have heard all kinds of stories that there were as many as 2,000 protesters that were uh, from Black Lives Matter and uh, Antifa to as few as 400. And when the president had to be evacuated from the White House, and that some FBI agents were injured in that melee. Can you shed any light on what the actual story was? Well, yeah, first of all, I can't tell you whether, you know, worry about evacuation or not. I know the facts that everybody else knows publicly that you can glean from, uh, you know, the, the, the media and things of that nature. Uh, no FBI agents were, were hurt or involved in the front line of that. What, what, what you saw there, if there were federal agents, you had Customs Border Protection. These were DHS, Department of Homeland Security Assets. And the reason they were involved is they are trained for riots. I mean, you know, you look at uh, the Bureau of Prisons employees, uh, you know, they're trained in dealing with riots. Uh, CBP, Customs Border Protection, are, are, are trained in dealing with riots at the border. So they are trained, they are prepared, they have the tools they need, the shields, the helmets. You know, the FBI is not trained in riot. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're not going to be in the forefront of trying to, unless they get put into that position because of what they're doing. Um, but again, uh, you know, whether or not there was, there was talk of evacuation, I'm sure there was uh, when things got out of a hand. But then again, you know, things got stepped on pretty quickly, if you remember last summer when the president made his decision, you know, to, uh, to walk across the street to the church. Um, and, and that's where you saw the, those assets come into play. And that's when things really started to get pretty much out of hand. And then later that night, uh, not just, you know, from the Black Lives Matter protesters, you also had from the right side that were also clashing, which is normal. I mean, that's what's going to happen. You know, you're going to get the left, you're going to get the right. And, you know, hopefully it doesn't blow up into uh, all-out violence. And some of this does. Uh, I think Portland is probably more of, of where you look and see and how that could keep going on for the for the weeks and the months that it happened uh, out there so i have no information where any fbi people i do know with the capital riots uh, the only assets the bureau brought in um you know from from factually people i know that saw them were the hostage rescue team uh that deploys out of quantico and they were in the city within 45 minutes but their job was not to put down a riot their job is hostage rescue that's like asking a seal team to do riot you know, uh, work. They were there. They were deployed. Their job was to go in, and if there were any hostages taken, they would have dealt with that and dealt with it swiftly. And and they were there, but uh, you know, not waiting. They got deployed probably around three thirty, and were in the city within an hour. So uh, that's a fact. I know on that one. But uh, again, commenting on what happened last summer with the president, uh, you know, I'm sure they always worry about wanting to evacuate him anytime some of this happens. Peter, uh, one of our textures is uh, asking you a question. Uh, they say a number of the perpetrators are currently claiming they came to Washington because President Trump invited them, and they're asking for the president to issue them a pardon. Do you feel this will make it harder for uh, Trump to claim this? these words were never meant to incite? Yeah. Uh, I, I, that, that's just hard to say. I mean, I, I can only comment on that based on what I read, especially what I read today. I think 
even some of those comments, uh, you know, the, the interviews being done by the FBI of the people they're arresting, it, it's, it's, and, it, and it happens. I mean, now you have the people being arrested starting to talk, wanting to cooperate, and a lot of them are saying they did what they did at the direction of the president. Now, you know, that's what they said. Whether or not those statements I read today could be used uh, in any kind of a, a action by Congress, uh, you know, in impeaching the president, that's up to them to decide to use. But the point is, those statements are statements of fact those people believed. Uh, and uh, and if they, they, they said it and it's documented, whatever happens to those statements can happen and can they use that against the president? Uh, who knows? I mean, I, I personally believe it's, you know, Time to move on and time to heal, but that's an issue uh, for the politicians to decide on what they're going to do um, uh, from that standpoint. Well, that'll put a wrap on it. And Peter, uh, Joe, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and talk about uh, investigations and your experience with the FBI and uh, all of the activity that seems to uh, change from day to day as we get through this whole election process and the upcoming inauguration. Thank you so very much for coming on with us this morning. Yeah, not a problem, and uh, I'm definitely watching the Bills like everybody else. Yeah, go Bills and go Hokies, Peter. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that's true. Hey, you know, two sons that went to Virginia Tech, and absolutely right. Hey, big game for the uh, Hokie basketball today at 6 o'clock, so let's hope they can uh, stay ranked in the top 25. Peter Ahern, thank you so much. Sure, take care. All right, Brenda, first hour down, a whole nother hour to go. When we come back, Assemblyman Pat Burke, he had an op-ed in the West Seneca Bee last week. He is saying it's time to take the powers from the governor and put it back to the legislator. Uh, so kind of speaking out against his party. We will ask him about that, amongst other things going on in Albany. And then Steve Cohen joins us at 1130 to talk about restaurants. So much more here on Victory Sunday. It's Hardline. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 